Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. It seems that since the moment Joseph Smith unearthed the golden plates in upstate New York, there's been opposition to the coming forth and establishing of the Book of Mormon as another testament of Jesus Christ by those who would be opposed to its mission and purpose. Part of that effort includes eroding the historical and divine authenticity of the text through various arguments. Our guest today, Tad Collister, former Sunday School General President and General Authority, has a passion for defending the Book of Mormon. Whether overseeing the development of the 2020 Come Follow Me curriculums on the Book of Mormon or writing his latest book, A Case for the Book of Mormon, Tad Collister offers much to be considered with respect to the role the Book of Mormon plays in our modern world. Here now is my interview with Tad Collister. Tad Collister received a Bachelor's of Science degree in accounting from Brigham Young University, a Juris Doctorate degree from the University of California, Los Angeles, and a Master's degree in Tax Law from New York University Law School. He spent most of his professional career practicing tax law. He and his wife, Catherine, are the parents of six children. Brother Collister was serving in the Presidency of the Seventy and as a member of the Second Quorum of the Seventy when he was called as the 21st Sunday School General President of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He has served in a number of church callings, including full-time missionary in the Eastern Atlantic States Mission, Bishop, Stake President, Regional Representative, Mission President, and Area 70. Brother Collister was released as Sunday School General President in the April 2019 General Conference, where he gave his sixth and possibly last General Conference talk. Uh, But one-third of his General Conference talks were about our subject today, the Book of Mormon. He is the author of a book, A Case for the Book of Mormon, which was published recently by Deseret Book. So welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. It's great to be here. Thank you, Nick. Appreciate it. Uh, first of all, maybe you could clear up a, a point for me. You, you were released as Sunday School General President, but you're still kind of hanging around church headquarters a little bit, it seems. Well, I just go to pick up mail. <laughs> uh, you still get <laughs> and mail. And I am working on another book, and I do meet with a couple of fellows who are kind of moonlighting to oh, help okay. me with it. Nice. Yes. Any preview of what that book is or no? Well, that is going to be on uh, God's hand in the discovery, establishment, and preservation of America. Interesting. Okay. I guess to, to get kind of closer to the subject today when we're talking about the Book of Mormon— uh, you've had, as we mentioned, a, a number of callings, but is there one calling that you felt that maybe prepared you the most for writing this book, where, where you felt the, the importance of the Book of Mormon the most, maybe? I would say that uh, maybe two callings did. Okay. One, while serving as a mission president, I felt a desire and an obligation to understand the Book of Mormon better so that uh, they could teach it to our missionaries so they could be better prepared to teach it to investigators. Where were you mission president? In Toronto, Canada. Oh, okay. And then as General Sunday School president, we were working on the Book of Mormon curriculum, which is for the year 2020. Yeah. It's, it's completed, as a matter of fact. But I felt uh, a need and a desire to study all I could about the Book of Mormon so as to be prepared for that curriculum and its writing. Okay. Now, also, in the, in the preparation of this book, you, you had other organizations and scholars that you gave some acknowledgments to in the front of your book. 
Yes. Uh, what, what, who, who were those groups, scholars, who were those people, and, and why did you in, include them in the process? Well, I included them because I wanted it to be a better book and I wanted <laughs> it to be accurate. <laughs> so I spoke with Matthew Grow at the Church History Department because I had a, a decent amount of material having to do with the three and the eight witnesses, and I wanted to make sure my information was accurate. And he was very helpful in directing me to sources and kind of refining me and dotting the I's and crossing the T's. And then I met with uh, people at BYU, such as Jack Welch, who had been a longtime friend and is whatever the one of the directors or co-founders or whatever of Book of Mormon Central. Carrie Hull, who had an archaeological background, and I make reference to archaeological findings, and I wanted to make sure that I was on sound ground in doing so. Yeah. So I spoke with uh, and other people at Book of Mormon Central who I felt were knowledgeable and could help uh, make sure I was on, on solid ground. Awesome. So I've done a lot of podcasting for Fair Mormon, Book of Mormon Central, these kind of more scholarly-centric kind of productions. And it's been my privilege as I've prepared for interviews and, and different productions to go through and learn some of the arguments uh, that critics have made against the church's claims, uh, specifically the Book of Mormon. And so I, I feel that I have some understanding or uh, I guess a, a, a sense of some of the dominant claims that the, the people make against the Book of Mormon. But as, as a member of the Quorum of the Seventy and as a Sunday School General President, what sort of exposure do you get to these arguments and, and how much attention is given to these issues that are raised by critics? Well, I had an interest because I had a very good friend who left the church. And he left it not because of lifestyle, but because of intellectual questions that he had from going online. And he told me some of the sources that he went to, and I had decided to, I decided to go to those sources, find out what their arguments were. That led me to going to other sources, <laughs> trying to itemize what I thought were some of the key arguments against the Book of Mormon. And, uh, and then the attempt of the book was to address some of those key arguments. It didn't address every single one. I didn't have room for that. Sure. But it was intended to address some of the key arguments for which I felt in many cases we had a very good response. And that was the first half of the book was kind of taking a, a defensive approach, a response to their questions. Yeah. And the second half was basically saying, okay, we've, we've played your game. We've responded to your questions. And now, if you really want to be fair, here are our questions Yeah, that uh, – from an offensive standpoint, show how strong the Book of Mormon is, how would you possibly respond to these questions? Right. So that's kind of how the book's divided up. Yeah. The Book of Mormon is many things to many people. Uh, to some, it's even a, a crass musical. <laughs> but I'm curious, what's the Book of Mormon to you? To me, the uh, Book of Mormon is a gold mine of doctrinal insights. And uh, kind of a pun intended on that. Yeah, no, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to look at it. <laughs> I uh, had a friend who went to Israel. He was on an archaeological dig. He was the only member of the church. He went with some others, some of whom were ministers to the Garden of Gethsemane. They took some time to study the uh, scriptures independently. And then just before they left, he said, I'd like to ask you a question. What happened here in the Garden of Gethsemane? These were now members of other faiths. 
One responded he didn't know. Several responded this was the place of the betrayal and arrest of the Savior. And the others responded this was the place of the, where he began his passion, his preparation for the cross. And he realized at that point that they didn't have the same understanding of the atonement that we have. And the reason they don't have the same understanding is because they don't have the Book of Mormon. And the Book of Mormon not only talks about overcoming death, which the Bible does, and overcoming sin through repentance, which the Bible does, but the Book of Mormon helps us understand that the atonement is much more. It also uh, includes the Savior suffering for all of our afflictions and temptations so he can comfort us, give us peace, give us perspective. And also, which is unique to us, is that the Savior's atonement gave him the enabling powers to help us overcome our weaknesses and imperfections and thus become more like God. And that is an incredible insight that comes from the Book of Mormon. Plus, there are many other doctrinal insights that the Book of Mormon gives us that you just don't get from the Bible alone, as good a book as it is, which I love. Yeah. So your, your new book, A Case for the Book of Mormon, we've kind of alluded to the idea that its approach is to discussing some of these at first, at least, these critical arguments against the Book of Mormon, I have a feeling that your law background kind of came into perspective with the title. Is, is there kind of a, a little pun there as well? I, I think there's a relationship, yes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yes. When you present these arguments uh, where it starts out with a very, I guess, a very strong assertion, and that is that you can't remain neutral on the Book of Mormon. There's no middle ground for the Book of Mormon. And there are those that try and assert this middle ground, this uh, divinely inspired fiction idea and things like that. Where do you come from and how do you support this assertion that the Book of Mormon has no middle ground? You have to make a call on it one way or the other. Well, Joseph Smith claimed that he saw an angel, that the angel presented to him the gold plates, that with the power of God he translated those plates, and that this was an accurate record of people who lived in the Americas. Now, that's either true or false. What's the neutral ground on that? Right. <laughs> there is no neutral ground. That's either true or false. It be 50% that's, true. <laughs> <laughs> that's the essence of the Book of Mormon. You yeah. either accept that or you don't accept that. Right. There's no middle ground on those issues. And those are the key issues that brought forth the Book of Mormon. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because it, it almost felt like after I read that chapter— you either were going to keep reading or you were going to stop reading because of how you answered those questions in a way. And I don't think that's really how people will read it, but it really does lay it out quite clearly that there is there is no middle ground for this. And it's hard to see a case for it that way. And I think that was obviously intentional. I yeah. think the Lord uh, doesn't want fence sitters. He wants them yeah. to make a decision. No lukewarm. And the Book of Mormon takes you off the fence. <laughs> and I think the Lord wanted that. And but I think it's the greatest tangible evidence we have, intellectual evidence as well as spiritual evidence, that uh, the gospel is true. And it, it separates, I think, the sheep from those who don't want to be in the fold. Yeah. The book covers proposed anachronisms, arguments of other possible authors, sources from which the book was plagiarized, even some attempts have been made to erode the credibility of the three and eight witnesses as a way of kind of backdoor attacking the Book of Mormon. But in the, in the end, you agree with the statement made by some Book of Mormon researchers that the Book of Mormon gets better with age. 
What does that mean? How, how does that play out? Well, I think that uh, it gets better with age because more and more evidence surfaces that supports his book. For example, with regards to anachronisms, you know, some have indicated that because we didn't, haven't found for certainty maybe horses or goats or steel, therefore they conclude the Book of Mormon cannot be true. Right. And the point I try to make in the book is what they don't tell you is that less than 1% of the archeological finds having to do with Mesoamerica and the Americas have been unearthed. But even in that 1%, you think that we had people in times past who said there were no metal plates that people wrote on. We now know with the passage of time, that was untrue. We had people who said that Alma was only a woman's name with the passage of time. We know that's not true. We had people who said there was no cement with the passage of time, not true. People who said there was no barley, domesticated barley, the passage of time was proven false. That's part of the aging process that as all of these archaeological findings uh, take place, we're totally in favor of them because it will only help the Book of Mormon in terms of an evidence of its truthfulness. Yeah, and almost— seems like in many cases, the very points the critics bring up are the points that end up being made very clearly by the evidence over time. It is. And you think they're so certain on some of these points, you know, they refer to Joseph Smith as foolish. Yeah. Therefore, that gives him all the more credibility that nobody but a fool or somebody who was divinely inspired would have made this statement. And he was no man's fool. He was yeah. no man's fool. So it only gives gear credence to the fact that he must have been divinely directed on these points. Yeah. So you, you were a past missionary and a past mission president. When a missionary is approached with some of these critical questions or even critical doubts about the, the Book of Mormon's claims, what advice might you give them or any of us who are missionaries in how to approach these things? Other than reading your book. Well, I, no, I think that's, that's a fair question. I would say that if they happen to know the answer, they ought to try to give it, but then indicate that, you know, there's many questions that could be asked about the book, and the best evidence is for you to read it and pray about it. If they don't know the answer, say, well, that's a fair question. I'll try and find the answer for you and get back to you. But in the meantime, we'd like to in, you to invite this book that— uh, and you might ask him, do you know the Bible's true? And if they say yes, say, how do you know the Bible's true? Through archaeology yeah. or through the Spirit? And most people will say through the Spirit. Say that's exactly just, I came to know the Bible's true exactly the same way. But that's exactly the same way I came to know the Book of Mormon was true. And would invite you to apply the same test to the Book of Mormon that you did to the Bible. Yeah. Do you have a mission story, maybe, where the Book of Mormon was a uh, central part of a, or a central factor in bringing an individual into the faith? Well, um, yes, I do. And uh, in fact, one of the cases is a man that I helped taught uh, join the church, not necessarily through the Book of Mormon, but through friendship and the plan of salvation and other doctrine. It was one factor. And then he read everything on the internet that he could. He left the church uh, for about three years, trying to find another church. But that's one thing about our church. It ruins you for any other church <laughs> because you know too much when you know all these doctrines. And finally, uh, about a year and a half or so ago, I 
just decided to write him to see how he was doing. He told me he had uh, come back to the church, rejoined it, was the elders quorum president, and that it happened because he was studying the Book of Mormon, and one night he prayed uh, harder than he'd ever prayed before, and the witness came to him that it was true. And he said, I realized I had been trying to prove it archaeologically and scientifically and culturally, and that I'd missed the boat, that the real proof was in the Spirit. And uh, he came back and is serving as the elders quorum president. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. You know, it's funny, too, when, when I've gone through some of these things, you bring up archaeology or different things. It often seems like that when a critic brings up these things as a reason to disbelieve the Book of Mormon, when evidence is shown to support it, it's not like they all of a sudden just believe it. Yeah, there is definitely a double standard. For example, there's, you know, the children of Israel are in the wilderness for 40 years. We know where some of their campsites were, yet we have no evidence of those campsites archaeologically. Yet I don't think that's destroyed too many people's testimony of the Bible. <laughs> they believe someday it will develop, someday it will come forward. But hopefully their spiritual witness is what keeps them going. So, yeah, I think the Lord, you know, he gives us enough to, I think, to say, yes, this makes sense. This couldn't have happened by coincidence, but that you still have to have faith and, uh, and get the spiritual conviction to really have a, a solid testimony of the Book of Mormon. Yeah, awesome. Any, uh, any preview for the Book of Mormon year that we can, anything we need to do to prepare for it? <laughs> <laughs> well, it'd be nice to read it yeah. <laughs> and pray about it. And I think... I think one of the purposes of the new curriculum is not just to encourage people to read, but to ponder it. Yeah. And President Nelson, I think, is taking us to a higher and holier way, from home teaching to ministering. I think from reading to pondering. And I think that increased intellectual, spiritual energy of pondering and treasuring up will just lift us to a higher level and holier level as a people. Excellent. So A Case for the Book of Mormon is by Tad Collister and can be found at Deseret Book locations or at deseretbook.com. And uh, we want to encourage people to, to go and check that out and give it a, give it a read. It, there's all sorts of information in there that could be of some help for you or someone that you may be teaching the gospel to in the future. But I uh, want to thank you, Tad, for coming in and sharing your work with us and, and your thoughts on, on the Book of Mormon as, as a holy book of Scripture. Thank you very much. For those of you interested in purchasing a copy of his book, A Case for the Book of Mormon, visit DeseretBook.com or any Deseret Book location. All of Tad's royalties are being donated to Book of Mormon Central. So, if you would like a book to help you share and discuss the challenges brought forward by the presence of the Book of Mormon, and you would like to support a great organization in the meantime, please pick up your copy today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. Stay subscribed to our podcast in iTunes, on Spotify, or on Stitcher. 